0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you are tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're in our Christmas series about Jesus, and this week we're talking about how He is the one who is forever. You see, while we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, that's not really where the story begins. Actually, it doesn't even have a beginning. Jesus was the one who created the beginning. We're going to look back in the book of John where we learn a huge piece of this Christmas story. So grab a Christmas cookie and maybe a glass or two of eggnog as you listen to our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. They've actually got it closer to the heart of Christmas than a lot of people. <laughs> We're going to go down pretty deep this morning and not come out for air much, so I thought I'd start out with a couple of cartoons that I thought were pretty cool. You ready? Here's this first one. Here's Mary to the wise men. No diapers. The first and last male-sponsored baby shower. <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's another one on these wise guys. Here we go. Next one. Jesus, or Joseph, tells the wise guys, he wants to know if you brought him an Xbox One X. Right? Might as well get something that a a child wants. How about the next one here? This is pretty funny. There's no words. You just got to see the expressions in the animal's face. You got the pig and the chicken and the donkey. They're all looking accusedly at that cow who is eating Jesus' bed, right? I thought it was pretty good. How about the next one here? Huh, this is for the ex-Catholics in the room. Hail Mary. (laughs) That's funny, guys. Come on, come on. One more. No, actually two more. Well, if it isn't Joseph and Mary right? They're sitting on their donkeys. You look at the bumper stickers. Our son is an honor student. Our son is in medical school. Our son is God. (laughs) All right? Right? She's got him. And this last one, a lot of you guys may not find it pretty funny, but I'm kind of weird. I like the old Calvin and Hobbes. Any of you guys remember Calvin and Hobbes? Kind of an old strip, kind of funny and pretty smart. And here you got Calvin. That, That cloud of stars is our galaxy, the Milky Way. Our solar system is in the edge of it. And we hurl through an incomprehensible darkness. In cosmic terms, we are simply subatomic particles in a grain of sand on an infinite beach. And then all grows quiet as they ponder. And finally Calvin says, I wonder what's on TV. All right? That's funny, guys. It really is. Seriously. I actually kind of put that one in because it kind of fits into my sermon this morning. There are things that blow our minds. There are. There are things that blow our minds and we just don't ponder very much. There are things that kind of put everything else into perspective and thinking about God is like that. Thinking about Jesus is like that. The real meaning of Christmas is like that. What I'm going to read to you in just a moment is like that. It's something I'm going to read to you about God, about Jesus. And if you really try to get it, if you try to understand it, it won't fit. It'll blow the mind because we're talking about God. God. We're talking about who he is and what he's done, and I'm telling you guys, words are not enough. So here it is: Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through fourteen. And as I read through this thing, I want you to really try to try to grasp what he's saying. And just just to be different and to give the, our God and the Word the respect it deserves, let's stand as I read this to you. Are you ready? Let's stand up. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never, ever extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, he was coming into the world. He came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even his own people rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. So the word, the word who was with God, the word who was God, the creator of everything, the word became human. And he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Wouldn't be seated. Do you hear what he said? In the beginning, in the beginning, in our beginning, not his. In the beginning, the Word already existed. It's not his beginning. And this word was both with God and this word was God at the same time. How does that even work? And somehow this word this word is actually the creator even though we know God is the creator. This word somehow gives life to everything that lives. And it gives light to everything that is enlightened. What's that mean? And John says that the Word, the Creator, somehow becomes a human. God becomes a man. The infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, infinitely big, eternal one gave himself fingers and toes, eyes and a nose, ears, and a belly button. And if that's true, it's no wonder the world didn't recognize him. And if it's true, it's no wonder... Even his own rejected him. And yet John says, for those who are willing to let God be God his way, he makes it possible for us to become children of God. Guys, if you really try to understand that, it is not illogical, but it does blow the mind. Now, we're in week three of a four-week series leading up to Christmas. We're looking at four birth stories of Jesus that you can find in the New Testament. One in Matthew, one in Luke. That was last week. One in John. That's today. And next week, the the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to look at the one in the book of Revelation. Believe it or not, there's one there too. Now... This birth story in John is way different than the ones we've already looked at. Those gospels talk about Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and the manger and all that stuff that fills up our Christmas cards. And they tell us that Jesus was special. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. John is different, deeply, deeply philosophical. Simple language, simple words. But he's not building a case for believing in Jesus. He just simply tells you who he is. This is God. This is the creator stepping into creation. This is the one who gives you life. Without him, you don't exist. Now, if John was wrong, and if Jesus claimed to be these things, and Jesus was wrong, then he is the biggest fraud in all of history. And if he's right... It would be absolutely insane to blow him off. Listen to what he says. Again, one more time. In the beginning, in the beginning, no Jew would have missed it. Can you think of another book in the Bible that starts in the beginning? It's Genesis, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) John says, in the beginning, before anything that we can see sprung into existence... In the beginning, the word already was there, and somehow this word was both with God and this word was God, however that works. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis stuff, John says, that was this guy, that was this word. If you think back to Genesis, you remember how God would say a word and then it would happen? God says, let there be light, and there's light. God says, let there be seas and dry land, and there were seas and dry land. God says, let there be grass and trees and fish and birds and people. Well, John says, when God said a word, when God said a word, that word was Jesus. That was Jesus doing that stuff. <laughs> and John says, in him was life. He's not, he's not saying that Jesus was alive. <laughs> He's not alive like us. He is life. We receive life. He is life. Somehow he's the one that makes everything else live. Then John says his light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never, ever, ever. And to tell you the truth, that word there, we really don't know how to translate it. I mean, you know the word in Greek. And you know that the word in Greek can have a couple of different meanings. One of the ways that it can read it is... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never understand it, because it's going to blow their minds. If you're reading the New Living Translation, like this one, it says the light shines in the darkness, the darkness will never extinguish it. The darkness will never win. Both of them work. (laughs) And then John gets to the Christmas story, kind of, sort of. At least this is the heart of the Christmas story. This is what the Christmas story is all about. John says the Word came into the very world that he created. And the world didn't recognize him. The Word came to his own people, and even his own people rejected him. So, God, God the Word, our Creator, our life, our light, becomes a baby. Stick that in your head. God becomes a baby. Kind of the ultimate divine incognito. Divinity hidden behind a human mask. This baby lying in a manger is the one who got all this started. This baby lying in a manger is the one who traded heaven for a feeding trough. Meanwhile, all around him, life goes on. Village life goes on. The neighbors are oblivious to the idea that God had moved in next door. Master of the mistress of the house or the inn or the barn, whatever, is completely ignorant of the fact that they had sent their God to be born in a barn. It's a wild story. Blows the mind, staggers the imagination. In fact, if you actually accept it as true, it is the wildest and craziest story ever. In fact, for many, it's simply too weird, too wild, too crazy to be believed. The idea that God, a God this big, God big enough to play with galaxies like they're marbles, so to speak, could or would shrink this small. <laughs> and yet, I suspect many who are Jesus followers and most of those who were not Most people don't think it too weird, too wild, too crazy to believe that something this small small could morph into something almost infinitely big. We simply accept that. They call that the Big Bang, right? Hmm. Probably the most commonly accepted theory as to how our universe grew up. And I'm not suggesting, guys, that you have to buy this. It's not the point. Some Jesus followers do think this is the way God did it. Other Jesus followers think that whole idea is crazy. That's not what I'm trying to talk about this morning. I'm just saying that a lot of people think it's absurd that a big God could become this little when they don't blink at the idea that something this little can become that big. Now I know it's hard for guys like me to really understand the theory because I'm not a scientist. So it's kind of crazy for me to try to explain it, but I'm going to goes something like this. Somewhere around 13.7 billion years ago, all of the planets, all the stars, all the galaxies, everything that is in them, were all condensed down to an incredibly small, nearly infinitely dense, unimaginably hot, little point, only a few millimeters wide. Everything, that big. Everything that is physical, could fit on the tip of a baby's finger. Kind of wild, isn't it? Kind of like a supercharged black hole on steroids. And then for some reason, and if you don't believe in God, you have no clue how or why, for some reason it explodes. Kind of like the mother of all explosions. In a hundredth of a billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second, they tell us, that's about 35 zeros, this little speck of everything doubles in size about 90 times and in an instant, matter, energy, space and time are all born. At first all there is is energy, too hot, kind of like radiation on steroids forces of nature start to crystallize, gravity, the strong and the weak, nuclear forces, electromagnetism, and all of this takes place in the first second of time. And then these little tiny, tiny subatomic particles spring into existence, things like electrons and quarks and a bunch of other ones with strange names. And it all keeps expanding and cooling. Protons, neutrons form. All this happens, they tell us, in the first second of creation. And then in the next minute or two, as it's all growing and cooling, these particles begin to bind and to form the very first element, helium. Keeps growing. About 50,000 years later, as I understand it, these electrons and protons start binding together to form the second element, hydrogen. And it keeps growing. And this hydrogen and this helium morph into this incredibly big, exponentially growing, cosmic cloud. And we've made it all the way to what they call the atomic era. About 200 million years later, they tell us galaxies start to form inside this cosmic cloud. And then about 3 billion years in, the stars begin to form. And they begin to convert the hydrogen and the helium into all of the other elements on our periodic table. And these elements, they tell us, become the building blocks for the planets, the moons, and everything on them, things like us. Everything we see today. Hmm. And it just keeps growing until today, they actually estimate that there are about two trillion galaxies in the known universe, the known universe. That's two with twelve zeros. It's a lot. And they estimate that there are about a hundred billion stars per galaxy. So our sun is one of a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, which is only one of about two trillion galaxies in the known universe. In fact, they tell us that light travels, you know that probably this, travels about 186,000 miles a second, right? That's fast. They tell us it would take light 93 billion years, 93 billion times, years times 186,000 miles a second to cross just the known universe. And it's still growing, they tell us. That's the Big Bang guys I don't care if you buy into that some Jesus followers do others don't it's not the point the only thing we Jesus followers agree on is that God did it you see those without God can't tell us where that infinitely dense infinitely hot thing came from 13.7 billion years ago or whenever else it was born All I know is that someone or something had to get it started. And John says, that's the Word. That's the Word. That was God. That was Jesus. That's the one who was born 2,000 years ago to a peasant teenager named Mary, who then wrapped the Creator in strips of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough story and it's just ironic to me how is it that those who reject the idea of God can accept the idea that everything that exists just pops into existence on its own and then this tiny little dot of infinitely dense infinitely hot stuff grows and expands into everything that is on its own But then they turn around and blow off as fantastical the idea that the one who spoke it all into existence, I mean, it had to come from somewhere, the one who spoke it all into existence could or would shrink down to the size of a fertilized egg where he would take nine months to grow into Jesus. (laughs) They can buy this, something mindless and purposeless grows from this to this But the one who was infinitely smart, infinitely powerful, and infinitely creative, they struggled to think that he could shrink down to this because he wanted to. (laughs) So here's what John tells us in his birth story of Jesus. He tells us that the creator of everything, the Word of God, God himself, shrunk to the size of a fertilized egg, which is about a tenth of a millimeter wide. One of the largest cells in the human body, but just barely big enough to be seen without the aid of a microscope. And then by the time God implanted himself in the wall of Mary's uterus, did you hear what I just said? God had divided into 12 to 16 cells. (laughs) And over his first four weeks sharing the stuff of creation, as a fetus, God develops a spinal cord, a nervous system, a gastrointestinal system. He grows a set of lungs. And a human heart is fully God and fully fetus. Over the next four weeks, sharing the stuff of creation, God begins to grow a face and arms and his legs begin to move. And his heart, his tiny little human heart starts beating. And his brain and other organs begin to form. So the omniscient, the omnipotent, God gives himself a tiny, tiny little brain. By 12 weeks, our God, our infinitely big, omnipresent God, our fetus God, is about three inches long and he weighed about an ounce. He can have fingerprints now so he can unlock his iPhone. (laughs) He can smile and frown and suck and swallow and urinate. And for the first time you could see that our God had chosen to do life on earth here as a boy. By 16 weeks, he could kick, and he could hear God gave himself ears, the one who didn't need them. Strong little grip, a God with fingernails, toenails, a creator who can roll over in his amniotic fluid. By 20 weeks, his doctor could listen to his heartbeat with a stethoscope, if his doctor had had one back then. By 20 weeks, God has hair and eyelashes and eyebrows. He can suck his thumb, and he can even get the hiccups by 24 weeks our transcendent God the one who spoke everything into existence is about 11 to 14 inches long weighs about a pound and a half his eyes are open although there's not much to see and he actually starts collecting the material for his first bowel movement By 28 weeks, he begins the movements necessary for breathing and he starts adding on some body fat. By 32 weeks, he actually responds to sound and he passes between periods of sleep and wakefulness. By 36 to 38 weeks, our God is about 19 to 20 inches long. He weighs about six pounds. And when Mary's contractions start, that first 15 to 20 minutes apart, stretching her cervix, then they speed up to about two to five minutes apart so God can move into her birth canal. Did you hear what I said? Her contractions keep coming nearly every minute, lasting nearly a minute until our creator, our God, is born. And Murray wraps him in strips of cloth. And she lays him in a feeding trough. John says, he came into the world he created and the world didn't recognize him. Well, no kidding. Came into his own people and even his own people rejected him. Well, no kidding. I mean, even with the prophecies and all of their waiting, who could have seen this coming? But John says to all who did believe him and accept him, and we're going to see why in the next four months leading up to Easter. To these he gave the right to become children of God and the reborn we are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan but with a birth that comes from God. So the word became a human and he made his home among us and he was full of unfailing love and perfect faithfulness and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He was Emmanuel, God with us. God took a body, a birth date, and a temporary address so we could gaze on his glory, his unfailing love, and his faithfulness. And we saw his glory in his words, in his heart, in the miraculous signs that he performed. But most of all, we saw the glory of the word of God when he stood before us and showed us where the nails had pierced his hands and his feet guys words aren't enough anything we say about him and anything we say about this actually diminishes it I think sometimes it may be poetry speaks more plainly I don't like poetry But how else can a man describe the ineffable? The unfathomable. So if you have a poetic bent, let me give you a couple. Here's John Donne. He says, immensity is cloistered in thy dear womb. Now he leaves his well-beloved imprisonment. There he hath made himself to his intent weak enough now into our world to come. Seest thou, do you see my soul with thy faith's eyes how he which fills all place yet none can hold him for he doth lie. Here's John Milton. You know the guy who wrote Paradise Lost. Here's his attempt. That glorious form, that light unsufferable, that far gleaming blaze of majesty Wherewith he was accustomed wont to sit at heaven's high council table, to sit in the midst of triunal unity, he laid that all aside, and here with us to be. He forsook the courts of everlasting day and chose with us a darksome house of mortal clay. Hmm. One more, this is George Herbert. It says, the God of power as he did ride in his majestic robes of glory, resolved to light. And so one day he did descend, undressing all the way. They try. Guys, the absurdity of this story is almost incomprehensible. The idea that one bigger than the universe itself passes through the birth canal of a frightened teenager. One whose days are numberless, draws his first breath. One who could rattle the heavens with his finger flails his arms as a young girl rocks him. The one who spoke the world into existence with a word. babbles and coos. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrinks down so small as to become an oven. Single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye. An egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus takes shape, enlarging cell by cell inside of a nervous teenager. God with the human face. God with diapers. Son of God, the turning point of history, the touchstone of your life, lays in a feeding trough. I think there are two moments of Jesus that are the most deceptive. The first was this one. First moment was this first Christmas when God becomes a baby. Gods aren't born. Second moment was 30 or so years later when Jesus' body hung limp on a cross. Because gods don't die. The real God can. The real God did. Because he wanted us to understand that he understands and he wanted us to know how much he loves us and he wanted us to understand that he can fix because of who he is he can fix whatever is broken guys the only thing crazier than the story of Jesus would be our unwillingness to bend our knees to him it's a wild story either you buy it or you deny it If you deny that there's a God, then you explain how all this got started. You explain how all this just popped into existence on its own out of nothing. But then you're gonna have to live with the emptiness that follows. Or you buy it. There's a God behind all this. All of this is on purpose. You're on purpose. And you matter. And to prove it, our creator God, as the apostle Paul put it, he emptied himself which is what Christmas is all about. That's the Christmas story. And you buy it by accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord, not just intellectually, but from your heart, accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord, which is who he is. So what are you going to do this year to show yourself? What are you going to do this year to show those who watch you that he is the reason for this season and his gifts are the greatest gifts of all. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's an amazing story. It blows the mind. It's something that we can't fully understand. It's just something we get a glimpse of and it staggers our imagination. It blows our minds. But I suppose we can expect that from God big God has given us little brains but big enough to understand your grace, your power your will we're so grateful for Jesus we're so grateful for the gift of life that he has given to us I pray that you give us the courage and the wisdom to bend our knees and do life with you, with him real life, both in this world and in the next we love you dearly In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.